Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. My name is Dara and I'm nine years old. I've been playing the cello for three years. Some days it's hard and some days it's easy. Let's check the A straight there. Stop. I had to practice every day and I had to play the songs until I got them perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Bill is very kind in the classes and he spots out as much mistakes so I can play the songs as good as possible. There you go. Uh, that's Face the Music. Uh, it's on Thursdays on RT1 and on the RT player, just to uh, remind you that RT actually make television programmes. Uh, perhaps people are a bit distracted from that lately. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, James. Good afternoon. Uh, right, so this is, uh, this is like... Uh, this is the Academy of Music so, yeah. uh, and, and kids going to learn. Would these be kind of fairly high level stuff then? It, it's a mixture. So um, I guess, you know, although I have lived in Dublin for a very long time and I studied around, you know, the place where the RIAM, RIAM is how they call it, um, is. I don't really know anything about it because I'm not a musician. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was actually, a, you know, when I'm not semi-professionally watching television, I'm usually standing in a classroom and my very good colleague, the music teacher in the school, alerted me to this show. Ah. She has a vested interest in fitness. Of course. Yes. And um, I sat down to watch it and like, you know, anyone who regularly hears me knows that often I like these kind of RT documentaries that are a slice of life Irish stuff. And this ticks every possible box you could want, right? So you have um, children, both precocious and just cute, uh, who are very talented musicians. And then there is this very kind of enjoyable part of watching them you know, watching the actual act of teaching and learning going on as well, right? So what I didn't know about Reem before this was it offers classes to children, but it also offers like degree level classes to, you know, 18 to 22 or plus and like master level classes as well. So throughout this, we are introduced to various different teachers, uh, the, or, uh, including also Deborah Kelleher, who is the director um, of the whole shebang. And she, you know, there's this actually very lovely scene where she's meeting this new girl, uh, young girl who's arriving, to think, I think, to take violin lessons from my memory. And she's just so warm and welcoming to her. And you can just see how well she works with young people. And mm-hmm. like that is what it kind of takes if you want to work well with young people. You have to have this immediate affinity and understanding of how to talk to them in a way that's not patronising, but also friendly. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, so what I loved about it was the disparity. Like I just because I'm not a musician. This is an alien world to me that I only can appreciate from afar. And I, of course, I understand that if you want to be a top level musician, you have to, you know, it's like fame. You put in the sweat and here's where you start sweating, mm. right? And just the different kind of aspects they showed us in, in just this one episode of three that we've seen so far were really, really fascinating. Like one of them is a an opera singer. singer. Her name is Rachel Conahan. And, you know, we see her as she's warming up ahead of a rehearsal with her uh, opera teacher. Who And even just the relationship between them is so nice and friendly and like 
supportive and then her upper teacher just is like that bloody jaw and we find out that Rachel has this you know I mean I don't know if it would qualify as a birth defect or whatever maybe it's just because she is an opera singer yeah but her jaw is so tightly wound that she later on in the episode goes to get it broken you know like cosmetically broken to fix it so that she can, can open sing her mouth wider yes yeah. essentially yeah I mean wow. there might be a bit more medical science to yeah. that but yes in short and and just seeing like you know, I mean that's just something I never even considered might be a thing right that like an that's commitment singer. though as well going to get your jaw broken but also you. there's this there's this overhanging tension of will it actually work you know, mm. like, and that, you know, she's putting, she's clearly an excellent singer. Uh, her jaw is holding her back and hopefully this operation will work. And I, I you know, I, I hope it does. But she has huge ambitions for becoming the best opera singer she possibly can. And this is one way to it. We also meet a guy uh, named Sean Shannon, who's from Ennis. And he taught himself to play the piano first on like his sister's small plastic pink toy piano that had five keys. And what's very interesting about his story is he reminds us that, like, you know, in some ways, the uh, learning an instrument is a financially uh, expensive thing yeah. if you are not yeah. a, a family of means. And he describes his family as not being of means. And in fact, you know, he's, he um, only has been able to progress as far as he has gotten so far, thanks to community uh, funds coming his way. And that, you know, his house is a small house and although they have an upright piano somewhere, I mean, it's literally in his sitting room. So while he's practicing three hours a day, <laughs> his two parents yeah. are sitting watching the TV in the background. And, Crikey, and yeah. He, and, and what's really nice about his story is... Um, you know, he's he's this uh, obviously very, very uh, gifted piano player, but he's like a shy 17 year old boy. And he talks about um, he talks about being bullied at school and having, you know, having a hard time of it in his teenage years. Mm. And what I loved about the documentary is you kind of see him come to life, right? Like he's this quiet guy at home and then he's riding the Lewis into Reem and it's his first day and uh, he's meeting all the other students. And it kind of just reminded me of that, like, you know, of, of that kind of transformative time of your life that going to university, because he's doing a bachelor's degree in, in piano playing, can be when you... Because he meets his tribe. Yes, yeah. exactly. You find like-minded people and you find you have likeness with them and it's just it was lovely like the whole thing was just really lovely it's all under um, pinned then by a kind of uh, I think it's 175 years that Reem has been in operation and for the last couple of years they've been trying to build um, like a, a 25 million new kind of campus over on Western Row but it has been plagued by delays and extended costs <laughs> and plagues. Delta supremes, yeah. <laughs> and um, just seeing you know the incredible musicianship that or musicality I don't know what noun I'm looking for here right that comes out of this pokey little building yeah, right? yeah. this old kind of Georgian house where there's not enough practice rooms and where everybody is is uh, you know pulled from pillar to post to try and get whatever they resources they can and I presume episode three is going to end with the grand unveiling of this new building I haven't been down Western Road in a while, so I actually don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, all in, like, just a lovely, lovely, really well-made, really thoughtful 
beautifully produced documentary. Do you see much of their families in the sense <laughs> that, you know, presumably requires some sacrifice in their part? Well, and, definitely. And Actually, so the, the, the boy we heard in the clip there, his name is Dara Fitzsimons and his, uh, he is one of five children of uh, Matt and Jennifer, Clara, Matthew, Oscar and Rossa. And uh, they all, um, they live in Meath and they get up at 6am or something on a Saturday and they basically go and spend the entire day in the you know in Riam, uh, they they like plan their whole you know they they cancel parties they presumably cancel all kinds of things because they decided early on that music was something they wanted to imbue their children with and fortunately their children have taken to it and as we heard him in the, playing the cello in the clip he's doing very well and his teacher described him as like a, a natural born musician but yes it showed that like. It requires um, a healthy interest from your parents. And I don't mean this in any kind of doming way, but these are like parents that are so interested that they even sit in on the lessons, you know, and they take are taking notes of what the teachers say so that they, you know, when they go back home and their children are practicing during the week, they can also remind them. Well, now remember they said lift the bow or whatever, right? (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about, but you definitely (laughs) saw that this was. Uh, you know, like while there are some, um, there are some musicians like Sean, the piano player, who just pick it up by ear and learn themselves and don't come from a musical background. For every one of them, there's also, you know, parents who are uh, scrimping and saving or, or getting up early or driving their children there and hanging out with them and sitting in on the classes that this is, uh, it's not a, it's, you know. No single person becomes a concert pianist, shall we say, right? Yes, like yeah. it, it takes a team in order to do it. Yeah. Okay, that's and they're not these aren't like pushy showbiz parents. No, really, no, they like they seem to be really, really, really interested. And look, how many parents attend every single one of their children's GAA? You yeah, know, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Practices, I can't even think. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. that ball stuff they do. Uh, they, uh, someone says that anyone passing the academy heading uh, to or from the dart will be familiar with the various sounds, wails and bangs emitting from the building. Never really understood it, but watching the show gave me a different insight. Fair play to them. I'd never have stuck with the commitment uh, these kids have. And they did. Uh, this is probably a spoiler, but I just Googled it. And yes, they did. Yeah, unveil well, the I'm new glad. campus so uh, um, <laughs> earlier this year uh, right uh, we'll move on to our uh, second show of the day it is uh, the return season 2 of And Just Like That that's every Thursday on Now TV here's a clip what? it's on hold where? I don't know listen Eden my husband is a partner at a major New York law firm so you might want to watch your tone or I'm going to call your manager Dead as she is, I don't think Eden can take much more interrogation. Kim, she's got a phone. You're like this close to being a meme. I know. I don't know what's wrong with me. And even if I got the dress back, I don't even know if Lily could fit into it anymore. First the Chanel and then the Chopin. I just feel like she's rejecting everything I ever gave her. Is she rejecting it or is she, you know, like you just said, she outgrowing it? You know, and that's healthy, right? You want them to change and move on. Eh, who am I to say? I'm still fighting to save sex in the city. I'm not sure it fits me anymore either. I don't need that dress. I have the memory. And Lily. Whoever she is now. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, but um, before we go, can I just get the other boot? And I'll have a pair. <laughs> there you go. More heart-hitting drama from the streets of New York. Uh, so, is it just the same thing all over <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about it is, right, like uh, this is the 25th anniversary of Sex and the City launching. OK. Right? And when it when it, you know, it was this absolutely avant garde 
you know, uh, cultural defining TV show of the late 90s in which it was incredibly sexy and uh, feminist and the fashion was obviously like a big, huge selling point, mm. etc. And then it, you know, the brand was really uh, damaged by the two movies, which are like absolutely critically panned. And I don't yeah. think there are even particularly many fans who would defend them. And then the show came back and it came back obviously last year, but it's opening season and it, it rehashed a few ideas from what were what what failed to become the third movie in the movie trilogy. And one of them, and here's the big spoiler for episode one of season one of uh, Just Like That, is Big Dying, right? Yeah, I don't think, like, it's been a year. Yes, <laughs> right? okay. <laughs> right. So, Cameron's yeah. moved on, I'm yeah. sorry to the audience, right? So, uh, in doing so, um, they it, it, it immediately locked itself or put itself in a corner as a show, right? Because what can you do in that first season in a show that's supposed to be about sex and relationships if your lead character is a widow, right? Yeah. You can't have her going around bonking everybody in New York City yeah. with without, a, a, you know, a, an appropriate period of mourning, right? <laughs> and, um, it, and that's what we got. We got a fairly chaste first season of it, just like that. Now, they spiced things up a little bit by having, you know, other characters discover newfound relationships. But that was equally problematic as well. I mean, they've introduced many more characters. So while we have not, while we have lost Samantha, although there is a much fated cameo of her coming mm. at the very end mm. of the season, I'm surprised they already announced it because it would have been a, you know, a nice little surprise, but whatever. Um, uh, in addition, so the original four were cut down to three and then they have brought in an extra three women who in some regards just fulfill different archetypes, right? So one of them is basically Samantha Jones version 2.0. That's Seema. Okay. Then you have... Um, you have uh, like an incredibly prolific uh, Columbia University lawyer who is just sad about her husband. Right? And uh, she's Aww. Naya. And then you have LTW, uh, who's just another kind of rich uh, woman who uh, makes documentaries, I think is what they imply, but is mostly just rich and fabulous. And okay. therein is my problem. Um, although they've introduced more characters it's like there's too many balls being juggled around here. Oh, and I forgot, of course, Che Diaz, the they them who is uh, who has brought about the end of Miranda's marriage and moved her to Los Angeles. And now we are at this position where they've decided to bring the sex back into the show. So Carrie is over her mourning. It's actually only been one year, which I didn't think was particularly long if your husband drops out of a heart You're attack. so judgy. <laughs> Maybe I am, right? <laughs> My Catholic it, ways. It I can be escape. a form of grieving. <laughs> I guess. I, yeah, true. Heaving anyway, but... But um, um, basically now, uh, my main issue with it is we just have more characters doing all of the same kind of thing, right? Which Mm. is just being really rich and wearing fabulous clothes. And like, while that is comforting and, uh, you know, like I will watch every episode of this this as it comes out. I will watch it till it is cancelled if that happens. But it's never, I, I never am too kind of surprised by anything or I never find it absolutely hilarious or shocking or revelatory or anything like that. Even I was thinking like in the first episode of season two, a lot of the drama hinges upon them going to the Met Gala, which is like a really perfect mm. thing. Why yeah. wouldn't Carrie Bradshaw uh, be going to the Met Gala? She's like a famous New York sex writer and podcaster of sorts. And uh, the thing about it is like the Met Gala is about avant-garde fashion. And in the, you know, 25 years since the show debuted and it had all this avant-garde fashion, um, it can't be that avant-garde anymore because now, yeah. like, e- like even now, 
you know, drag queens on RuPaul's Drag Race are stomping the runway in fashions that are more avant-garde or interesting or bizarre in a good way than what we're seeing on Sex and the City. All in, I don't know how to feel about the show because it's never, ever bad. I mean, except when it is, right? But even, <laughs> even its badness is like, is like uh, fine, right? It's like good... It, it, I don't know what I think of it. It's just, yeah. it's not when bad. When you say bad, what kind of badness when there's badness? Like as in, okay, so one thing that has hugely improved um, is in the first season, they introduced uh, Sarah Ramirez as Che Diaz, who is this non-binary stand-up comedian. And I mean, the character was extremely poorly written. Nobody liked them, including non-binary people who were like, you know, there's this famous writer who's saying like, you don't understand, we just want you to write a non-binary character that's not lame, right? Yeah. Like, whatever about them being realis- realistic, just have them be cool, right? Yeah. And Jay Diaz is decidedly not cool. And in this uh, iteration of the show, they've moved Jay Diaz across uh, America to Los Angeles and Miranda has gone with her. And while they have fleshed out Jay Diaz into this far more um, normal acting character, quote unquote normal, uh, the thing is Miranda has been completely and utterly turned into this, like, silly idiot, right? So like Miranda was this high powered lawyer in the original run. Mm. Uh, okay, like maybe she was she was the one choosing career over motherhood and then gets a bit, you know, becomes pregnant and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you find out ultimately she can have it all until she decides she doesn't want it all anymore. <laughs> and now she's over in Los Angeles doing absolutely nothing. I mean, the only kind of activity they had her doing was attending an AA meeting when, you know, because they turned her into a very brief alcoholic for about three episodes in the first (laughs) round of it, just like that. And then, you know, and then she's cleaning up the beach and loses her phone. I mean, that's her whole kind of plot line in the episode. And there's a little bit more to it than that. But like, it's just like this, this was, (laughs) this was this really you know, career-driven, powerful lawyer, and now she's just doing absolutely nothing in Los Angeles. Mm. And and listen, you know, we want them all back in New York. The whole point is that we want the characters... It's a know, New York show. It's yeah. a New York show. We want them bouncing off each other, not having boring phone calls on the beach about... You know. is, it, is it, though, that... that- it's just past its time. It was a very zeitgeisty show. It was yeah. very of the moment, and that and and it sounds like from uh, and just like that they introduced all these new characters to make it more diverse because the culture yeah. had moved, uh, and and just like that for Sex and the City is trying to play catch up all the time. Mm. And it's kind of bit of a groovy dad syndrome going on there. <laughs> I, I think they have toned. <laughs> I think they have toned down the groovy dad a little bit. Like even in the so in that for, you know when they introduced Che Diaz, it was at a, like a podcast recording, and uh, they were pushing this button that was saying like woke moment, you know, which was oh, just like God, cringe yeah. of the cringiest. Uh, now it's. I think the thing, issue is like. When the show was originally on, it was about women in their 30s, 40s, right? Mm. And a lot of it was find a man, settle down. What does that mean? Do I want it? Right. Let's have some sex. (laughs) Now it's uh, now, even though the original show ended with every one of them in a relationship, only one of them is still in a relationship. And that is Charlotte. And arguably Charlotte, who always got the crumbs of the stories in the original run, has the more, you know, she's been the standout of this season so far because it's been about her relationship Mm. with her husband and her daughters and their changing identities and uh, so on. The rest of them are all sort of back in limbo again. I mean, Kari is, you know, we know from the trailer is she's going to be 
meeting Aiden, one of her original loves from the yeah. series again. So we're just going back to that well again, <laughs> you know? Okay, no, yeah. Points for originality, I don't think so. Right, uh, we'll move on to our uh, third show this week. Secret Invasion, new episodes every Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Here's a clip. What do you know about a heist at a black market storage facility in Kazakhstan happened a couple days ago? Doesn't ring a bell. You know, I may not know when a scroll is pretending to be a human, but I sure as hell know when a human is lying. You know damn well what was in that storage vault. The fact that you don't know tells me all I need to know about this new, rather old Nick Fury. I think Thanos' snap changed you, taught you that no matter how hard you fight for what's right, there's always someone stronger to undermine you. You seem to forget this old Nick Fury has 30 years of hands-on experience with scrolls. I know the nature of this threat way better than you ever will. Is that your idea of an offer of some sort of collaboration between us? We used to work pretty well together back in the day. Back in the day, you would have seen my rather mediocre bag men coming a mile away. The fact that you didn't see them coming means you haven't a hope in hell of seeing Gravik and his rebels coming, which makes you, as a partner, rather pointless. Right. Is Secret Invasion the sex in the city of the Marvel <laughs> Universe, James? <laughs> well, Mr. Big isn't dead yet, but you know, <laughs> we'll give it time, right? Um, so, yeah, Secret Invasion is... Um, a huge Marvel comic series it was it was the biggest kind of crossover after they did their Civil War uh, thing which was already turned into a Marvel mm. movie and it was written by my, uh, Brian Michael Bendis who has written loads and loads and loads of comic books many of which have been adapted to the um, big and small screen it is the first TV show in I think phase five of the Marvel uh, MCU and it is, having only seen one episode of the six that are to come, uh, it is a, a fairly drab start. So Marvel is uh, going through a bit of an existential crisis at the moment because although it had for a very, very a long run, this like luster of not only huge financial uh, success, but mm. quite a lot of critical success. I mean, yeah. some people just don't like comic book movies and you're never going to convince them. But, uh, you know, kind of the average viewer seemed to really like it. And this time around, um, over the last year, any of the Marvel movies that have come out, they've all been tracking much bigger box office numbers than they have so that, than they have actually done. So they've all underperformed. And this is, in my opinion, not going to be the show or certainly not the first episode that's going to turn the ship around yeah. and suddenly reignite an interest. Because even I, who like Marvel found this a bit tiresome. So the plot, in as much as we got in the first episode, involves Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. He is like the head honcho of what used to be S.H.I.E.L.D. and is now Sabre. He's been living off Earth. Uh, help, you know, we were a bit unclear what he's been doing for the last number of years. Mm. But anyway, while he's been doing that, the Skrull, which are a, a race of aliens, uh, kind of refugees who've been living off Earth on a space station, have gotten tired of waiting to find a new home and have decided to use their, uh, like... Uh, ability to transform into anybody else to come down to Earth and basically take over the planet. Yeah. And what I thought was most remarkable about it was their main plan to do it involved a lot of being in Moscow and Russia. And I sort of sort of thought, oh, OK. <laughs> interesting choice of location, <laughs> yeah. yes. And I did know that there was, uh, you know, this, this was supposed to come out, I think, um, at some point late last year. And there were four months of reshoots. And I kind of wonder if that has anything to do with it. But Russia is still featured 
mm. you know, yeah. front and centre, certainly in this first episode. Now, we, who we heard there in the clip was also obviously Olivia Coleman, who has joined the cast. Uh, I guess to get a nice swimming pool or yeah. something. Yeah. She's playing uh, Sonia Falsworth, who's like a shady MI6 agent. And uh, I mean, listen, she's a pro. Samuel L. Jackson are a pro. They can elevate their scenes to even enjoyable badinage and, and mm. you know banter yeah. between them. But the rest of it is toned down, right? So um, none of the big superheroes are on the roster, right? So we're not going to be expecting any kind of, uh, you know... Uh, super strength or whatever to appear. Instead, this is supposed to be like a spy craft drama and it comes from a guy named Kyle Brandstreet who's best known for Mr. Robot and Berlin Station, which is a very underseen gem. Um, and also joining the cast, we have uh, Amelia Clark of uh, Game of Thrones, first of her name, yeah. uh, as as uh, Gaia, who is a kind of um, is she bad? Is she good? Scroll, but also uh, Irishman Killian Scott as definitely bad is certainly bad. Pagan, mm. and all in in this first episode. It just didn't hook me, right? Like, when I look back at kind of the Marvel's uh, TV series that we have had, the ones that I've liked have been the ones that have been um, weird and a bit kind of fabulous. And yeah. I, in the, for those, I would say Loki, I really liked. WandaVision, I really liked because they were weird and funny and played with all my expectations. This seems to be going down a kind of... Um, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier miserablest uh, political Plus, machinations. Yeah, I mean, I did, and, and like there was a lot of God, you're old. Plus <laughs> a couple of flashbacks that made you go, God, you're fat as well uh, <laughs> for for Nick Fury. But he seemed tired. It was a tired performance. Yeah. I didn't watch the whole thing. I went to bed because I got kind of Fair. sleepy. Halfway I actually through. was almost tempted to watch it a second time just to see, like, would it improve on second viewing? And yeah. I just, I even couldn't be bothered. Right. Yeah. Uh, like all in, who knows? I, 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 like I said, I could eat my words in a few weeks time, but it was a bad opening episode. Certainly. Yeah. James, thanks a million Thank as you. ever. James Dempsey there. The three shows we were talking about today. Face the Music. That's Thursdays at 10.15 and RT1 and the RTE Player. And just like that, new episodes of Season 2 every Thursday on Now TV and Secret Invasion new episodes every Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. Moncrief. Weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.